0: So we're going to be in Colossians 3, and we're going to look at, I'm not sure how far we'll get, but my, my plan was to go from five, uh, verse 5 to verse 17. We may only get to, oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how far we get. So I just entitled it, Off with the Old, On with the New. Um, you guys know from studying Paul's epistles, this is a common theme with him, um, in this section, Paul's going to instruct the Colossians believers to put to death the remnants of the old self and take on the character of their new life in Christ. And and this will result in peace and thankful worship um, in their assembly. Um, Paul's laid the foundation before this um, you know, with gospel truth, and now he's giving moral instructions based on that truth. Um, obedience to these uh, commands is impossible apart from new life in Christ. That Paul has been describing Um, but by faith those that have been made alive with Christ will grow more and more into conformity with Christ's character and their actions will be transformed Um, so let's read this section together um, Colossians 3 and we're going to start in verse 5 put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. So, at the beginning of this passage, we are commanded to put to death the old self. Um, we saw in chapter two uh, that Paul rejects legalistic asceticism that's what was being put forward by his opponents as false teaching. but here he calls believers to become in practice what they are in principle, and that is uh, dead to sin and alive to God. And he's not criticizing the body, uh, the physical body, but we cannot be passive uh, about sin and its members we um, the way of life for a believer should not be incompatible with the new life in christ and this putting to death imagery i mean it's it's violent imagery um, in in our you know modern twenty first century context in our culture you know we're we're kind of sanitized against uh, That it's not something our culture likes to talk about, or yeah, he calls it
1: warfare. It's warfare.
0: Yeah, it's it's warfare. Warfare Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we like to keep death at arm's length. That's why you know people, you know, if you talk to the world about death, they don't want to talk about death. It's it's put away. We our culture um, idolizes youth and and young um and they don't like to talk about what's going to happen exactly what's going to happen at the end is not is not what they want to talk about because we know um god has put you know the truth that he is in their hearts and they see it all around them from creation and the test the testimony of of god's general revelation um and that uh there's there's accountability um Pointed on demand, wants to die, and after that, the judgment. So our culture tries to put that away. Now, they want, don't want to talk about that. You know, we outsource our killing to Kroger, as Pastor Farrell likes to say. Uh, those that are against hunting, you know, we we don't want to see. Uh, we want to eat the meat, but we we don't want to see how it gets on our plate. So um, I remember a, a situation several years ago. Um, where the Queen of England was, was criticized for what was really an act of compassion. She was um, watching a, a pheasant hunt, and the, um, the men and ladies were out there with shotguns, and uh, one of the retrievers brought her a bird that had been hit but wasn't dead. And so um, she wrung the neck of the bird um, to kill it instantly, um, that wouldn't have been a story, except for there was a photographer there and, and film crews, and so they captured this this moment. And um, you know, it wasn't a pleasant image. You know, d- d- death and killing is, is is not a pleasant image, even though she was doing it out of compassion. Um, it's visceral, and so that's that's the language here. Are we taking that kind of approach to sin, where um, you know we're willing to do that that ugly? Work that um, the work we're commanded to do—it's it's really a beautiful work, but it it takes effort and um, it's messy. Um, so it's a it's a deliberate and rigorous action that we're to take against the sinful remnants of the old life uh, that was crucified with Christ. You know, sin must die, or we will die. And um, it's it's a, a formidable foe we face, but. Um, you know, and it's formidable because it was crucified and yet it's still, those remnants are still, um, alive. Um, but we got to take heart because we live in resurrection power, the resurrection power of Christ and his spirit. And that enables us to put to death these things that remain, um, from the old, old man. Um. The violent work is, is the life work of the believer. Puritan um, John Flavel wrote that on account of this struggle against sin, the day of a believer's death is better than the day of his birth. Never till then do we put off our armor, sheath our sword, and cry, victory, victory. So the sword is always out and always hacking to death uh, sin and, and the remnants of it in in our old life or the remnants from our old life, I should say. Um, And then Paul just gives a list. um, Lists of sins that need to be put to death. Um, Sexual immorality, uh, any sexual activity outside of a monogamous heterosexual marriage. um, This is uh, sinful activity. And um, next, Paul's going to address the sinful thoughts and desires that lead to the action. Of, of sexual immorality, impurity is just kind of a broad term um, of unspecified sexual sin, passion, evil desire. Un, this, you know, unbridled, misdirected sexual urges, and, and these are attitudes of the heart um, that, if they're not put to death, uh, can lead to the physical act of sexual immorality. Um, And then he links that with covetousness, which is idolatry. Um, So, in the context of the list of sexual sins that come before, you know, sexual covetousness or greed reduces other people to sexual objects to be consumed and discarded. And Paul equates that with idolatry. And you can look back at, you know, Romans 1 22 to 27, where he talks about that idolatry of, of sexual desire and, and, consuming other people, using them for your own um, sinful pleasure and then discarding them. Um, why do we put these to death? Well, verse 6 tells us that um, it is because of sin's end. God will judge sin. Um, the wrath of, of God, again, it's another topic that's not popular today, um, even in our churches. Um, some have you know, tried to Help God's reputation by downplaying His wrath. Um, there was a popular book, you know, several years ago, called "Love Wins," um, very popular in in Christian circles, and uh, basically said that everyone goes to heaven. You know, um, even the title suggests that the the character of God is is at odds with itself. There's the wrath of God and the love of God, and love wins in the end, and everybody goes to heaven. In fact, they uh, those two things are in perfect harmony. Um, you, know.
1: you know, just the, the thought that uh, comes to my mind is, you know, we have to see both sides. Yeah. And because in order to understand the love of God, we need to understand the wrath of God. And then we talk, in, you know, we talk about being saved, which is yep. a perfectly legitimate word. Saved, salvation. Yeah. Well, I, I can always remember it was R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was asked one time by some intellectual college student that was, you know, wasn't believing, and said, "You talk about being saved. What are you saved from? I mean, you're, you're always saved." Yeah. And he and he just said, right there, I'll never forget this. He said, "We're saved from the wrath of God." That's right. And uh, because it's real and it, it's and it's glorifying God's wrath. They talking in the scriptures about the wrath of God. Actually, is glorifying to God uh, because He hates sin, That's and, right. and uh, that's sorry, right. Anyway,
0: it, you know, no, you're, you're gonna... that you're right on you're right on point because a perfectly loving God cannot turn a blind eye to sin, or else He wouldn't be loving. Okay. So uh, His perfect justice means that His wrath must be poured out on sin. You know, we wouldn't call a judge good that turns a blind eye to injustice or murder or theft that that would not be a good judge that would be a, a wicked judge and so the wrath is either absorbed by absorbed by Christ at Calvary for all who believe or in eternal hell for the unredeemed um, there's that's one of two ways to expunge that wrath another reason why we put these things to death is because of our past uh, verse 7. Says that in these two, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. So the the term walked, um, you know, leads us to the conclusion that the the lives of the Colossians were marked by sexual sin prior to their their salvation. Um, living in them, uh, that terminology would. Um, Lead us to believe that this was just the accept. This was accepted in the culture that they were in. This was established in the attitudes of Colossae. Sexual sin was just was rampant. It was just an accepted part of their culture, and they were living in it, and they were walking in it. They were it part doing of these actually, deeds,
1: part of, uh, worship. Uh, worship. Yeah, yep.
0: pagan worship often linked, you know, um, sex with prostitutes at the temple and that kind of thing. So yeah, it was just an accepted part and. Um, even, you know, we're not that different today. You know, sexual sin and, um, you know, promiscuity, um, all manner of, um, you know, pornography, it's accepted and even celebrated uh, in our culture. But we were saved out of that old life. You know, it's, we could, you know, give testimony of our lives before Christ. It, you know, these things, um, uh, you know, it marked our life prior to Christ, and we are different now. And we refuse to return. Um, The old remnants of that life have to be killed. And then in verse 8, Paul gives us a new slate of sins to put off. This is the language of, uh, first of all, in verse 5 he says, put to death. And now he says, put off. And this is the language of disrobing. Removing things like soiled clothing. Um, Verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger Wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So he's going to talk about um, taking off these these sins that relate to how believers relate to each other and speak to each other. Um, He uh, puts in the word all. Uh, You must put them all away. We don't get to pick and choose our our sins. We don't get to coddle uh, a prized sin that we love. He says put them all to death. And so these are sins of speech, um, and then anger is is an emotion uh, of intense antagonism towards someone or something. It's it's continuous. It's the simmering below the surface. It's it's internal that can then become external. Um, Ephesians four twenty six does allow for Christian anger, but as one commentator has said, Paul and other New Testament writers. Um, thought anger to be such a powerful emotion that only God could be trusted to exercise it fairly. So we often well I'm I'm you know, I'm righteously angry about that. Well, let's unpack that. Let's let's go to the heart and see what what attitudes are really under it. And I think sometimes when you just scratch the surface you'll see that it's it's really sinful anger. Um, So be careful about using that. I think it's legitimate, um, obviously, uh, in light of um, Ephesians four twenty six, but be very careful to to pull out that card that you're you're righteously angry. Um, And then wrath, Um, wrath is kind of the explosion of anger in words or deeds. So the anger is is below the surface and it's simmering. I mean, you may put a smile on at uh, at church and how you doing? I'm doing great, and you know, look great, but on the inside, if you got simmering anger. You know, eventually that's going to burst forth in wrath. Um, it's going to be an explosion of it. Malice is is just an attitude that intends harm to another. If we're sad when someone is successful and happy when they are in trouble, that's sinful malice. Um, we have malice towards that person, and then that malice usually leads to the next sin that's mentioned: slander. You know, we um, a speech that tears another person down. Those little tidbits of gossip. Um, you know, tearing another person down because we have malice towards them in our heart. And then five obscene talk—that is pretty self-explanatory. Any any filthy talk is not appropriate uh, for a believer. Sharing, you know, off-color jokes or that kind of thing—it's it's to be um, put off. Take off that that shirt. You know, let that belt hit the floor because that that needs to be put away. Um, taken off um and then he says do not lie continues with the the speech uh theme dishonesty was part of the old self and was to be put off you know lying um we all know it destroys relationships it erodes trust divides the body of christ truthfulness builds unity we're allies of each other we're unified because we have a common enemy and that's sin and so um I think do not lie is, is interesting in its placement because Paul's just talking about putting to death sin and putting off sin. And sometimes I think we're tempted to lie to each other about what's really going on in our heart. We have secret sin, but we don't want to talk about it with other believers. And so we lie. And I think, um, that's deadly. It's deadly to our own souls. And, um, like I said, it just, it splits. It, 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 the unity of other with other believers is not there because we're just not being honest with with others and putting on a, a facade like um, everything is okay. But you know, if we were to take back the the jacket, the, the clothes are soiled, and we're we're not being honest about that. Why do we not lie? Um, verse ten. Because we have exchanged selves. The old self is gone and the new self um, is alive uh, in Christ. We don't remain unclothed um, to put the dirty clothes of old self back on, but the new self is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. His image can be seen in the the character traits we're going to be looking at in verse 12. So not only are we individually new selves, but corporately... We're new people. The old divisions of our race and social standing are done away with in Christ. And we see that in verse 11. Here there is not Greek or Jew, uh, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So the new people of Christ are made up of all these diverse people. And... Um, Christ is now supreme in in sanctific in salvation and sanctification. Uh, what we have in common with each other is Christ, and that is supreme in our relationships. So, you know the ethnic um, divisions uh, you know Greeks and Jews. Um, Circumcised and uncircumcised would be, you know, previous religious divisions are done away with. Barbarian, that, those were people who were outside, who did not speak Greek, were considered lesser people in, in that culture. And then you had Scythian, you know, these are social standings, barbarian, Scythian. Um, Josephus, the Jewish historian, called um, the Scythians little better than wild beasts. You know, they were, they were the worst of the worst. They were, you know, uncultured. They're from a distant land. You know, they didn't, you know, basically wild beasts. And they were being saved and brought into, into fellowship. And that division, that social standing that divided before is, is done away with. Even slave and free economic divisions. You know, the, the slave who was owned by the slave owner, they could now be brothers in Christ in the same fellowship on equal standing uh, in Christ. So the diverse categories do not disappear when we become Christians, but they add to the beauty of the unity in Christ that that is the body. Um, It's a testimony to the the gospel's transforming power. And let's see, how are we doing on time here? I guess we're going to have to stop there. So next week we'll talk about uh, putting on the new self, the, the characteristics that, um, are ours in Christ, uh, they are characteristics of Christ that should become characteristics of our, our new life in Christ. So we're going to talk about that and how that is, um, in contrast to what we, we covered today. So that was a, a short one, but, uh, it was good to, good to fellowship with you all this morning and get to know how everybody was doing and be able to pray and um, lift these things up to the Lord. So uh, it's been good, good to be with you all this morning. And we'll, I'll pray and then we'll go on into the next service.